You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze the various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, distributed ledger technologies, and cryptocurrencies. DeFi has been a use case within the cryptocurrency space that has taken the crypto industry by storm of late. One can say that it has been the single biggest driver of growth in the crypto market this year and promises to be so for some time to come. So, even though we've touched upon DeFi in our past episodes, we decided to create a series of episodes focusing specifically on DeFi. Today, we're going to be talking about the basic concepts of DeFi, define the frequently used terms, and discuss how decentralized finance is different from traditional finance. So with that, Nikhil, would you like to start off with a basic introduction of traditional finance? What are some of the key concepts? And then maybe give uh, an introduction of DeFi? Sure, okay, okay. So there are a few terms here, right? Uh, so we have traditional finance, we have decentralized finance and uh, there is this new com- term coming up called centralized finance as well, which is quite interesting. Uh, but traditional finance, uh, let's start there. Um, so in a traditional finance, the underlying basis is a fiat currency. So a fiat currency is a currency that is uh, issued by a government of a nation state. And uh, there is a bank that basically uh, controls the supply and demand of that particular currency, which is known as a central bank. The central bank basically looks at the economy of the country and the uh, projected growth and uh, uh, current uh, various statistics that govern the health of that economy and make uh, projections uh, based on that. And then, you know, Uh, either print more currency or buy up currency uh, uh, as well. So the central bank basically controls the the currency. Then there are other banks. So there are private institutions. Basically, these are regulated banks. And each of these banks essentially have an account with the central bank. And uh, uh, these regulated banks are of uh, a couple of types, actually. So... Uh, one are called custodial banks. Uh, so these banks basically are used by uh, registered investment uh, professionals, so the uh, registered investors, right, who uh, they are by uh, regulation uh, required to keep a certain amount of assets with a custodial bank uh, in order to kind of prove that, you know, they have the capacity to uh, do certain types of trade right and uh, uh, essentially usually this is around commodities and futures and derivatives and all of that uh, so custodial banks basically are not allowed to use those assets for any kind of activity uh, lending or other kinds of activity of their own and they generally just keep the the they keep that asset and then charge a fee to uh, for for keeping that asset this is important in DeFi because uh, in DeFi the underlying currency essentially is the cryptocurrencies and uh, now there are custodial uh, banks 
uh, offering services where these cryptocurrencies are kept by these custodial banks, uh, which allow uh, you know registered investors to then start buying these crypto cryptocurrencies and keeping them here so that they are again legally uh, allowed to then participate in uh, cryptocurrency related uh, lending and uh, trading activities. Then the other main type is essentially the retail bank. The retail bank is what you and I normally go to. Uh, it's where we keep our quote-unquote savings and all all the uh, we do all our transactions with. But uh, the retail bank has also got the ability to then use this money that that they have uh, taken from us and uh, lend it out to others. Uh, and uh, it also allows them to speculate with it, right? And generally, retail banks do not uh, keep the entire amount that uh, they have been given by their customers. They actually keep only a small fraction of it available for the small transactions that uh, you and I do, whereas the vast bulk of it is basically lent out again. So that's basically the retail bank. Then you have uh, the idea of stocks, commodities, forex, uh, essentially uh, exchanges where you can do what are known as investments and trades, right? And these uh, generally uh, allow you to trade on, on shares of companies, which are known as securities, uh, or you can actually uh, go to specialized uh, exchanges where you can actually trade on commodities. And commodities essentially are uh, just physical goods, right? So you can, there are metals, which is gold, uh, iron, uh, copper, silver, etc. You have agricultural goods, grains, milk, uh, meat, all of those. Uh, and you have uh, uh, other uh, commodities as well. In fact, uh, you can con uh, some people even do contracts on on trade on, on on stock itself, right? So you can actually have a commodities market, <laughs> even though they are not considered commodities. You can actually create contracts on of these. So in a commodities uh, exchange, what typically is done is what. The commonly used thing is called a futures trade or a futures contract. Uh, and what that essentially is, is a promise, uh, an agreement between a buyer and a seller uh, of a commodity for uh, the buying and selling of a particular amount of that commodity in a, at, at a future date, right? And the reason why this is useful is because it allows the uh, hedging of uh, this particular price, right? So you can actually have some, uh, so the seller of the commodity, so like the producer of wheat, for example, more farmers like, uh, or, or the miners of gold, say, for example, have some assurance that, you know, in the future, by the time they have either grown the crop or mined the particular uh, gold, uh, they have a certain minimum expectation of what the price should be, right? And that allows you to kind of project into the future and make plans because if you don't know what the price is going to be you can't really do that kind of thing right the uh, from the perspective of investment 
uh, what people do with this future contract is then it cre- they create derivatives out of it, uh, which is essentially a instrument that basically uses this underlying commodity and speculates based on it, right? So it says that, okay, fine, I'm going to sell it to you uh, at a lower price because I feel that, okay, its price is going to be going down in the future. Or if I'll sell it to you at a higher price because I feel that the price is going to go up in the future. So you can start uh, hedging your risk and your bets based on what you feel uh, the the the, the the way the commodity is going to either move up or move down, uh, you can basically hedge your risk and uh, make trades based on that. You can do the same for uh, a lot of other things. So uh, generally, you can do futures contracts on stocks. You can do futures contracts on uh, currencies. Uh, it's called forex trading when you do it. Uh, and generally, they're in the form of swaps. So basically, I can say, hey, okay, I'm betting that the price of the euro, for example, is going down against the dollar. So I'm going to create a swap and swap it uh, at a certain point for a certain particular price. And somebody at the other end uh, might say, hey, no, I think the euro will still be uh, at, it'll be probably going up against the dollar and then kind of buy my swap. And then there's speculation based on that, right? So all of these speculative activities are done in commodities and stock exchanges. And uh, so, so this is basically, so a direct futures contract or a direct stock trade is when you are actually buying or selling the direct share or the direct contract, right? Now, if you don't have the amount of money required or you don't have the credentials to do that, what you can then do is actually make bets on it, right? So this is what is known as derivatives. Derivatives essentially are... Uh, contracts of contracts right uh, so it's basically you can think of it at a very high level as a synthetic asset right it's a something that's conceived that kind of tracks the price of the underlying actual asset or combination of assets so you can create a derivative that says okay uh, i'm going to create a derivative that uh, speculates on the price of an undial underlying share like tesla so i can basically uh, say that okay fine i'll create a derivative i can't buy a tesla share but i'm going to buy a option uh, to buy this tesla share at a price uh, i'm going to place a bet that the price of this tesla share is going to fall uh, to uh, to a particular value uh, in a in a few weeks or in a particular amount of time so usually derivatives are time boxed and and they basically allow you to kind of make uh, predictions uh, make predictions or make bets on the future price of some underlying asset and then basically trade that promise right so uh, so that basically means that okay uh, without actually having the underlying actual assets uh, tesla stock i can actually trade this promise and uh, make some profits based on it right uh, similarly, you have uh, also got things like uh, leveraged or margin trading. Uh, margin trading is when basically, in addition to your own uh, money, uh, you borrow money from a exchange uh, or your stockbroker, and 
you take this combined money and uh, you trade right now uh, this is actually obviously riskier because when you do margin trading uh, and you're using you're borrowing money from the stockbroker the stockbroker obviously is going to have first call if the stock that you're purchasing goes down right so you can uh, if you suppose again and like for example now uh, you didn't have the, enough money to buy one stock of tesla but uh, you did margin trading and you kind of borrowed some money from your stockbroker and said okay hey we'll you put in 50%, I'll put in 50% and I'll buy one Tesla for $2,000, for example. Now, what happens is that the stockbroker will say that, okay, uh, if the value of Tesla falls below a certain value, say maybe it falls to $1,500, then uh, basically I'm going to put a margin call, uh, in which case uh, you have to pay me back my money right so you have to uh, pay me back the thousand dollars that i lent you or i will sell the tesla stock and recover my money right so this is actually even riskier because what happens is then you might be holding tesla wanting to hold tesla for the longer term right because you feel that it is actually going to go 4x or 3x or whatever but you have this underlying pressure that okay if it doesn't actually if it actually falls in between you might be forced to sell out quickly or try to find funds to cover your margin, right? So that's basically margin training. And then, uh, and to make all of this even more interesting is, obviously, when you're taking all these risky bets, right, you want some way to basically reduce that risk. And that's where you do hedging or, or insurance, right? And uh, hedging usually is the idea that you will diversify your portfolio. So you basically buy more of uh, more of other types of stock, which basically generally move in opposition to the rest of the stock that you have. So like, for example, the common classic one is stocks versus bonds. Typically, if you have like uh, a blue chip and uh, government bonds, they tend to hold their value even when the stock prices are going back down, right? Uh, they usually rise. So uh, uh, you can basically buy... Uh, you can buy put some money in bonds so even though your stock is falling down the rise in bonds value might might offset that to a large extent like another common one is basically if you put a derivative an option to buy tesla at a particular value you might also put one to sell it at a particular value right so that in case it goes down one of the two will basically come out uh, and you obviously each one of these things have their associated fees. So obviously there is the fee as well to be taken up. So one of the main problems with all of this, right, is that even today, uh, whenever you are doing these trades, it takes a certain amount of time for all of that to settle, right? So you say you bought a stock of Tesla, it, you don't immediately get the stock you actually have to wait uh, three days for that to actually get settled. And then only you actually own the stock. And so you have your money basically gets tied up and you are unable to do something else or maybe sell the stock. So there are a lot, there are a few limitations in what you can do, right? And the same thing with derivatives uh, also. Uh, you it, it takes some time for everything to kind of settle down. 
and there's also a lot of these fees that come in between and then finally uh, like i told you in the beginning right uh, for a lot of these kind of more riskier trades like uh, futures trading or uh, margin trading or derivatives trading you need to actually have a certain amount of money right so you do, you cannot do it with small amounts of money you need to have uh, become an accredited investor and you need to have a certain amount of money in your in custody uh, in order to kind of meet the regulatory compliance requirements for these kind of things so uh, obviously these are some of the shortcomings uh, uh, of the traditional financial system which which leads to the all the excitement in defi right because defi is now something that is totally online is totally based on from the bottom up a uh, software based system and which kind of settles and uh, you can things happen instantaneously and quickly right so uh, and and the other thing about it is because of the level of pseudonymity and the early days where there's no kyc ml so much it's uh, it's relatively easier and a lower barrier of entry to kind of get in and actually earn some money now as a regular uh, person when you put money in put your money in a savings bank account uh, traditionally today in 2019 in, in 2020 uh, the amount of interest that you get from the bank is known as the APY the annual percentage yield on whatever money you put is in some cases negative and in some cases very very small positive so 0.01% 0.2% uh i mean 1% is kind of good actually and these are these are very small amounts of money that you get for essentially putting your money with a bank who then uses that money to do pretty risky activities right so obviously if you are interested in making your money earn more a greater return on on your investment uh, then uh, defi uh, offers a larger apy uh, on well depending on obviously there is higher risk as well but if you kind of go all in and you're kind of good about it you can uh, there have been claims of a 100% apy apy as well yeah so that's that's basically one of the attractions of defi uh, and then finally a short definition of what a cfi is cfi essentially uh, refers to uh, institutions in cryptocurrency uh, which are centralized the classic example are obviously the exchanges like binance and coinbase which are actually centralized institutions uh, and function in a, a centralized manner even though they are actually dealing with cryptocurrencies that's what quote unquote con- considered centralized or cfi and defi uh, one of the intense or one of the design goals of most of the defi offerings are that they are decentralized usually protocol based or smart contract based and uh, not usually con- controlled by single entities though that depends on you know <laughs> your point of view sometimes uh yeah so that's basically i think uh, what i have uh on on what is conventional finance uh or traditional finance 
how it relates to DeFi and why why basically DeFi is kind of coming up in the world today. Uh, so there are some interesting uh, terms that are that come up whenever you're talking about DeFi. Uh, it might be useful, I think, KK, to go through some of them. I mean, obviously, some of these are straightforward, but there are a few wrinkles, so it might be good. Uh, so maybe we could start with a few of these terms. That that was a really good intro into you know what conventional finance is. And what are the different terminologies that that we use in in our everyday finance? And uh, with that, let's let's jump into some of the most basic concepts of DeFi. So I'd like to mention that uh, some of these terms that we're going to cover today, we have already mentioned, uh, and we've already discussed some of these in in our uh, past episode called Blockchain Basics. Uh, so we urge you to check out uh, that episode, you know, where we discuss some of these terminologies in in uh, detail, apart from some of the other terms in blockchain and cryptocurrencies. With that, let me just start off with the most basic one, which is what are wallets? So just like the name suggests, uh, a wallet is simply something that is used to store your cryptocurrencies. So just the way you store your cash or your credit cards uh, in a wallet, you store your cryptocurrency funds in a cryptocurrency wallet. And the reason why it is called as a wallet rather than an account is, uh, I mean, like if you look at something like your bank account, the bank is basically a custodial entity that is holding your funds for you. Whereas your wallet is something that is used to store your funds just like cash. So just the way, let's say if you're carrying, let's say $20 in your in your wallet or $200 in your wallet, if you're slightly richer, if you drop your wallet somewhere, you have lost your cash, right? Like it's, it's just as simple as that. You, you cannot go up to a bank to ask for the lost cash in your wallet, right? So uh, cryptocurrency wallets are exactly the same way. If you, if you lose access to your cryptocurrency wallet, uh, you've lost that money. You you cannot approach somebody to recover those funds. If if you look at the different types of wallets that exist in the cryptocurrency space, uh, you have software wallets, you have hardware wallets, uh, then there's terminology of uh, hot wallets, cold wallets. So let's just quickly take a look at you know what what these are. A software wallet could be just an app on your phone or your computer. Uh, that helps you store your funds. Uh, a hardware wallet, on the other hand, is a physical device that lets you store your crypto in, in a hardware device. So with a hardware device, only when you press a physical button on this device do any funds actually transfer. So to actually initiate a transfer, you know, you, you actually press a button on this physical device and, th- and that's the only way the process gets initiated. Uh, and very similar to this, you have paper wallets, you know, which are completely offline. So a paper wallet is basically just a wallet where you write or print the private keys co- corresponding to your wallet on a paper. So it's it's completely physical. So that's the kind of wallets that you have. And then depending on how frequently the funds in a wallet are going to be used, based on that, you also classify them uh, as hot wallets and cold wallets. Uh, for example, if you're storing your funds uh, in an online exchange such as Coinbase or another trading exchange like Binance, the, the wallet that is provided to you is basically a hot wallet. You know, you're going to be using that wallet to make frequent transactions and, you know, for everyday purpose, you know, for whether it's for trading or for whether sending money to somebody else. Uh, at the same time, uh, a cold wallet is something, you know, that, that is not really meant to be touched very often. That is uh, a wallet in which, you know, you, you put in funds and you, you don't touch it unless and until, you know, may, maybe once in a year or once in two years. So these are some of the basic terminologies when it comes to wallets. 
with that let's let's move on to a second term you know which is payment services payment services uh, in 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 the cryptocurrency space or in the defi ecosystem are uh, similar to you know what we know as payment services in in the conventional world right so uh, if if we look at you know when the bitcoin paper was released bitcoin as a concept was initially to be used as as a means of alternate payment right so back in that day you know when when the network was very new uh, it had very few users you could actually use bitcoin as an alternative form of payment you know you could you could walk up to a store if the the store accepted bitcoin or if you wanted to order pizza if the if the pizza shop accepted bitcoin you could place an order pay with your bitcoin and there you have your pizza right but as the network slowly grew as more and more people people started uh, using the network Uh, scalability issues caught up right so as we know the limitations of blockchain uh, networks is that as of right now the number of transactions that you can process in a given amount of time it's it's a lot lot lesser than some of the conventional methods that we use using visa and mastercard right so i mean bitcoin the transactions per second is somewhere in the single digits ethereum is somewhere in the double digits whereas if you take visa or mastercard it's it's a few uh, 3000 or 4000 transactions per second right to quickly interject over there kk so what you say is right but uh, we also have to acknowledge that there is uh, there are other cryptocurrencies like litecoin like uh, stellar and like dogecoin there, there's a bunch of them right uh, which are actually much faster which are uh, like dash for example which is which are based on other types of protocols Uh, which can theoretically be used as payment services and uh, yeah ripple was the name that i was thinking about uh, and they are used as payment services in uh, especially for remittances to places uh, where there is uh, like venezuela for example where there is a collapse of the uh, fiat system so while it is true that bitcoin probably is not used for payments very often today it is definitely also not true that there aren't there aren't no <laughs> cryptocurrencies uh, that fill that particular uh, niche oh i i completely agree with you nikhil and a great point you made about these other currencies like litecoin and dash in fact i was just going to touch on litecoin that you know as as we were uh, moving forward in time you know litecoin was one of the uh, first contenders you know to challenge bitcoin as as one of the alternate currencies for making payments and uh, like you very correctly mentioned uh, when you know the economy was going downhill in in venezuela dash was actually the number one uh, alternative you know where people were using uh, dash in in their grocery stores or uh, at gas stations to actually uh, pay for goods and services so definitely i mean uh, i agree uh, you know there are these other cryptocurrencies that Are are a lot faster than Bitcoin or Ethereum, and they have fared well so far. But in the larger scheme of things, you know, if we were to try to match up to Visa and Mastercard, uh, as of today, I believe you know we we are not there yet. You know, but at the same time, I, I, I agree. I, I agree. I agree. So uh, definitely, one of the challenges obviously is speed. Uh, the other challenge is uh, volatility, right? So uh, price volatility and. Uh, the fact that you know cryptocurrencies can go to the moon and come crashing back down at the drop of a hat makes it very difficult for people who want to use it for you know regular quote unquote real world uh to to be kind of uh, using it but uh 
to address that particular aspect of the need uh, i think the idea of stable coins came out perhaps we could get, just get into what uh, stable coins are okay, okay. so like like you very correctly mentioned apart from the speed and apart from the transaction capacity of the network one of the big uh, elephant in the ro- elephants in the room is the actual volatility of cryptocurrencies right so when cryptocurrencies came into the market they were touted as this alternate system you know that can be uh, that can replace your conventional finance but uh, soon we realized that okay if you actually tried using one of the conventional cryptocurrencies like bitcoin or ethereum or litecoin to do day to day transactions uh, to pay for a loaf of bread or a haircut uh, people realize that at least right now these cryptocurrencies are so volatile in the prices that if you were to you know go to pay for a loaf of bread with litecoin today maybe 5 days later you know the, the litecoin that you have might be either worth a lot more than what it is worth today or a lot less uh, than what it is worth today so in contrast you know like if if you look at how the 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 mechanics of us dollar works right it's a mature currency it's been there for 100 plus years so you know us dollar if 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 i look to purchase that same loaf of bread right like in in a grocery store it would be maybe uh, $2 but and if i go 5 days later uh, chances are high that you know the same $2 uh, would be would be sufficient to purchase that loaf of bread the us dollar itself would not have fluctuated in its value a lot and that that also happens but it's a very slow process of inflation you know that kicks in over several years right but with cryptocurrencies being so volatile they are not you know very useful when it comes to making these day to day transactions because the value just changes you know the, the purchasing power itself uh, changes very drastically so that is where you know the the problem gets addressed with this concept of what are known as stable coins so as the name suggests stable coins are cryptocurrencies or coins uh, that are pegged to a real world asset that is stable in nature so it could be pegged to let's say the us dollar or euro or some other major fiat currency or even to you know other assets like gold or silver so like i said you know the the purpose here is to peg it to a, a real world stable asset so that uh, let's say just to give you an example the the most popular stable coin and the, probably the oldest one that has been there for quite some time now is tether so a stable coin like tether is designed in such a way that one tether will always be equal to one us dollar so if if you were to buy a loaf of bread with uh, that that tether you could you know confidently hold tether in your wallet knowing that okay this every tether that i have in my wallet is going to be worth exactly one us dollar so uh, functionally that's what a stable coin is and there are different kinds of stable coins uh, in the cryptocurrency space so some are collateralized so or, or backed by a certain asset or currency or uh, another asset so for example you have stable coins where they're collateralized or backed by actual us dollars or gold uh, or some other cryptocurrency at the same time you have non collateralized stable coins that are stabilized by some u- unique algorithms so these algorithms basically ensure that each unit of that stable coin will always be worth 1 dollar or 1 euro or or whatever it is pegged to right so even though the working mechanism of these different stable coins is different they look to solve the same problem of price volatility cool uh, i mean so yeah that's that's a great overview of stable coins uh but okay so maybe we should go into a little bit into where you can actually get some of them right so uh maybe we could explore exchanges okay okay 
Sure. So just like in the real world, uh, where we have many different types of exchanges, as, as Nikhil was mentioning in his intro, uh, you know, we, we have many different exchanges today in, in conventional finance, in the conventional world for buying and selling different things, right? So for example, for stocks, you have stock exchanges. For uh, foreign currencies, you have another set of exchanges to uh, swap uh, for foreign currencies. And similarly, in, in the crypto ecosystem, you have uh, exchanges for buying and selling cryptocurrencies. So if you take an exchange like Coinbase or Binance, these are basically centralized exchanges, as, as Nikhil was mentioning earlier. Uh, and, you know, they're centralized entities and they're custodial in nature. That means, you know, they hold your funds for you, right? Like you, you don't have access to your private keys. You know, if, if you're holding your funds in any of these uh, exchanges, then the, the exchange would have the same problems of centralization that many of these other systems have, you know, with centralization. That is, you know, exchanges get hacked all the time. So if the exchange loses its, its reserve of funds, that means your funds are gone as well because the, the exchange funds are basically your funds. So after cryptocurrencies gained popularity, I would say like 2012 or 2013, the maturity of the technology was, you know, at a stage where we had to depend on centralized exchanges. You know, people wanted to trade cryptocurrencies, people wanted to buy cryptocurrencies and something built on a, a, a decentralized network or a blockchain was way too early at that time. It was very clunky, very slow. So we did have to, you know, depend on centralized exchanges to facilitate a lot of, uh, a lot of our purchases or a lot of our trades. So, yeah, I mean, just like, you know, you have a bank, you know, where you store your funds and the bank is the custodian of your funds, right? Central cryptocurrency exchanges became that same entity, right? Like they would hold your funds for you. And therefore, uh, as regulators caught up to the whole hype around cryptocurrencies and they, they you know, they started looking at this as an alternate form of money or an, an alternate form of investment. And it needed to be regulated by the same rules that you have for the conventional finance and the conventional world. All these questions about KYC and AML started coming up. So KYC, uh, as we know, it's know your customer uh, and AML stands for anti-money laundering. So uh, we have a certain set of prescribed practices that financial institutions are supposed to uh, adhere to. Uh, with KYC and AML, they're supposed to know uh, or they're supposed to have at least a basic minimum information about the customers that they're providing the services to. And uh, with AML, they're supposed to ensure that the funds that are being stored by these financial institutions for their customers are not being used for any illicit activities, for any sort of uh, terrorism financing or money laundering or, or for any of those purposes, right? So very soon, centralized exchanges, centralized crypto exchanges, even though the whole revolution of cryptocurrencies was very decentralized in nature, centralized exchanges became sort of the gatekeepers, right? And, and so they had to adhere to all these same practices of KYC and AML you know, that you have with your regular financial institutions. And then, uh, like, if you're a really, really large institution, if you're a really, uh, if, if, let's say, if you're a whale, you know, you would probably not be exchanging on one of these exchanges. You'll probably go to something called an OTC market. OTC stands for over-the-counter. This is basically, uh, you know, a, a platform where a middleman will act as a matchmaker. Uh, if you're looking to sell off very huge amount of BTC or Ethereum, and if there's somebody looking to purchase a huge amount of, of, of that same asset, then a middleman will facilitate this transaction. And this would be off the books, you know, like the, the trade will not reflect in any of your conventional price trackers like CoinMarketCap or uh, similar uh, price trackers. So this is a little bit about the centralized exchanges, you know, that that came up somewhere around 2012, 2013. And, you know, that that's uh, stuck around uh, till, till this time. 
Uh, and now the latest innovation that it's there in the market is the concept of decentralized exchanges. So these exchanges are actually built on top of a blockchain. And, and the primary purpose of decentralized exchanges is to actually remove the middleman, you know, is to have a feature like Coinbase or a feature like Binance, but without having to depend on a central company like Coinbase or Binance. Again, uh, decentralized exchanges compared to central exchanges, uh, one can say that, you know, they are, they are on the slower side because settlements on the blockchain, they actually take time. But as the technology catches up with possibly layer two solutions or some other scalability solutions, DEXs at that point could be a real competitor to centralized exchanges. Another kind of nuance that I'd like to kind of put in over here is that uh, so far decentralized exchanges or DEXs have dealt exclusively with cryptocurrencies. So uh, you don't have on-ramps in an on-ramp essentially is a way for you to convert your traditional quote-unquote fiat money into a cryptocurrency right so that is still being managed by the centralized exchanges that kk was talking about uh you still have to buy uh, using that to uh, buy cryptocurrency there uh, but you can do that over using otc as well but dexes are exclusively uh, i think cryptocurrency only and one of the reasons why is that like kk was pointing out DEXs kind of run on the blockchain infrastructure. And so it makes sense that, okay, if the cryptocurrency tokens are also running on the blockchain infrastructure, then the speed basically is based on the same infrastructure, then it wouldn't matter, right? So as soon as, so if I make a trade on a uh, on a decentralized exchange for two tokens, uh, that are also uh, running on the same blockchain infrastructure as the decentralized exchange. All of those things will happen with within one mining of the block, right? And that is the speed at which anyway any trade would happen on the on the blockchain. So the speed basically becomes a non-issue. All right, folks. That concludes part one of our three-part series on DeFi Primer. Be sure to check out parts two and three where we talk about more terminologies and concepts in the DeFi space. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Also, you can learn more about us on bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.